Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor Phil. Thank you, Pastor Cherry, for having the opportunity to come and share what God has put on my heart for you guys. Um, before we do that, I want to tell you a little bit about what we've been doing and what we plan to do uh, when we go back to Italy. First, let's watch this video. This is Kelsey, and these are our sons, Gavin and Owen, and we're missionaries to Italy. While in Rome, God began to deepen the burden in our hearts for the refugees of Italy. God gave us a vision of a holistic mission, not just to reach them physically, but to reach them emotionally and most importantly, spiritually. They have left everything, risking their lives to come to Italy to find a better future for themselves. And our heart is to share the love of Christ with them so that they can be redeemed and fulfilled in their life. We don't want to be just a friendly face while we're ministering Sicily. We want to build relationships with these people, get to know their stories and who they are. And we're doing that by building faith communities among the families and people there. We've been called to restore the dreams, redeem the lives, and rebuild the futures of those who have yet to know Christ. Thank you so much for your prayers and support. It means so much to have you partner alongside of us as we minister in Italy. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And if you'd like to learn more about what we're doing in Sicily, you can go and visit our website, Harrison's in Italy. As you can see, uh, last time we were here, we had three. Now we have four. So um, this is Kelsey, my wife. We have Gavin, who's seven years old, and Owen, who is 18 months. And he was actually born in Rome. So um, family's growing, and uh, support base is growing, too. You guys have been faithful supporters of us from the beginning, so we thank you so much. Um, I have a story I want to share with you. Uh, just off the coast of Libya, uh, there's a young Nigerian man named Andrew. Um, he was, he was uh, getting onto this fishing boat, and it was overcrowded with people, and he was trying to make his way across the Mediterranean in search of a better life in Italy. Um, he was fleeing his home from war and persecution that was going on in Nigeria at the time. Halfway across the Mediterranean, this, this overcrowded, beyond-capacity fishing boat runs out of fuel. The engine just shuts off. They're stranded out there. This boat is so old that it's actually taking on water now. And um, all that he can do is pray to God. And he's saying, God, God, save me. God, save me. I will give you my life if you save me from, from this. And um, they, they start tugging on this motor. It's totally dry. Not a, not a drop of gasoline in this thing. They're yanking on it, yanking on it. For 20 minutes, he's just praying. He's saying, Lord, Lord, save me. After 20 minutes, they crank on this motor all of a sudden. Crank, and the motor starts. It, it, there is no gasoline in sight. So this dry motor is now running, and this boat gets moving just enough so that the water does not keep filling up the boat. They make it into Italian territory where a fishing vessel picks them up and brings them to dry land. This, this is just one of countless stories that, that I've heard myself and that are out there from many migrants all over the place. And, and it's, it's amazing to, to hear these stories and to, to hear what's, what pain and hardship that these people have gone through. But not only that, this is a pivotal time in history where we have an amazing opportunity to reach people from nations that we could not go into. Nations like in North Africa that are Muslim nations, or 
or the Middle East where people are, are fleeing persecution over there. We don't have missionaries in those areas because it's too dangerous. But these people are able to come to us and we're able to share with them the hope that is Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? It's amazing, right? It's amazing. So we are a part of Casa de Refugio, which means House of Refuge. And we will be ministering to the refugee and migrant population on the island of Sicily. So if you're not familiar, it's the very bottom island, um, kind of on the boots, like the toe, I guess is what you would call it. Um, so we'll be smack dab in the middle of that island. Uh, the mission of Casa de Refugio is to provide a place of hope and belonging to those in the community. So it's not just open for the refugees and the migrants, it's open to anybody who would like to come. Um, the, the mission is also holistic because we want to meet not just the spiritual needs, but the physical and the emotional needs of those people as well. So we'll meet the physical by providing uh, food and basic essentials like clothes as well for them. Uh, emotional by giving them access to fun and creative classes that they can be a part of, like English classes, because many are eager to learn English, um, because I think that those coming from Africa, are they know a multitude of languages, but um, English is not one of them. Uh, and then also, and most importantly, spiritual. So we want to teach them and disciple them, teach them about the word of God and who he is. Um, so we don't want to be just a friendly face in the community. Like I said in the video, we want to get to know their stories and who they are because like Micah told you with the story of Andrew, um, these people aren't just a number. You hear, you hear about the, the news and how there's thousands of refugees coming into Sicily and into Italy and into Greece even. Um, but when you are there and you're inland and you hear the stories of the individuals, they're no longer a number, they're people. And um, we, desire to <laughs> we desire to share the love of God with these people and, and tell them about Christ and how he can transform their lives. Um, so there's a couple of ways that, um, that you can help and you can be a part of what we're doing. Um, the first thing is to pray. Uh, we absolutely value your prayers so much. We know you've been praying for us while we were there in Rome, and we value your prayers as we move forward. We've transitioned. We were MAs, and now we're fully appointed, and so we're going to be going back for a longer period of time, so we appreciate your prayers. Um, the second thing that you can do is stay connected with us. I know I even saw um, you guys have other missionaries' newsletters on a, on a bulletin board in the hall, and I loved that because you can see what we're all up to, and so um, you can do that several ways. We have a website, harrisonsinitaly.com. Um, we have a table out in the foyer, and I have a, um, a little iPad that you can actually sign up for our e-newsletter. And I promise we don't bombard you all the time, but we do. We don't um, even get them out <laughs> once a month like we want to. So, <laughs> um, But we do update you guys regularly on what we're doing here in the States, and also we share testimonies about what's happening back there because Casa de Refugio is actually already open. And so even though we're here, there are people on the ground right now who are working in that community diligently, um, sharing the love of God with people. They're handing out SD cards with people. Um, that little SD card can actually go on your phones, which everybody seems to have a phone, funny enough. <laughs> um, they have a phone, so they put the SD card in, and we've preloaded it with um, the Bible and worship music and the Jesus film, all in their native language. And as of today, what is it, like over 39 languages? Um, they've translated in, so it's an amazing way to... And over um, 3,000 SD cards have been handed yeah, out. <laughs> yeah, there's... And, and, and going forward, yeah, there's a lot. So um, it's really cool to just see how the Lord is working before us, even, we, even before we get there. So um, we just want you to stay connected as well. Um, I just wanted to share a verse with you guys quick, and um, I 
I can find that in my phone. Uh, it's Romans 10, 13. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one who has not believed? How, how, sorry. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how, th- and how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without somebody preaching to them? So we've realized it's not a matter of lostness. It's a matter of access. So these people who are, like Micah said, coming from closed nations, who have never probably heard of the gospel, they've never maybe even been around a Christian before. And so these people, yes, they're lost, but they're also, they've never been given access to the gospel. They've never heard the name of Jesus uttered before. And so we believe that we are being sent to go give them the access to the gospel, to share the message of who Jesus is and what he can do for their lives. Um, And we're excited that you guys are a part of it. Um, Can you imagine a people who were once worshiping Allah are now going to be proclaiming the name of Jesus? And it's our desire to see Muslims come to know the Lord, to be worshiping the name of Jesus, and to know him as their personal savior, to have a personal relationship with him, with him. Because you know that you can know Jesus, but to know him personally as your friend is a totally different thing. So that's what we desire, and we know that you guys are part of that, and we appreciate it so much that you've come alongside of us. You see our vision, and um, we just wanted to share all this with you. We love you guys so much, and we would love to talk with you more. We have a table out in the foyer, and um, we'd love to talk with you after service. So thank you guys so much. Awesome. Thank you. <clears throat> All right. Now, um, the Lord has been working on me, and I hope it works on you too, right? Um, it seems like whenever whenever I get a chance to preach, God slams me with something. He's like, this is what I want you to preach on. And it's usually something that I'm dealing with myself. And so in, um, in my personal time, <clears throat> when I'm praying, when I'm seeking God, he's, uh, he's laying stuff out for me. He says, there's, there's some character traits, there's some things that, that I think um, you need to focus on. And um, I think it's something that we all need to focus on. And um, God pointed out this, this passage of scripture to me. Um, and, and this is where it all comes from. And, and the idea is um, working on fear. You know, we all have different types of fears, but um, it, there's, there's important things about fear that we need to take a look at. So first, we're going to look at Psalm 27. <clears throat> it's a Psalm of David. And um, at the time when he wrote this, you're going to understand where he's at. Uh, he's being hunted down. He's living in caves. He's not having a very good life right, right yet. But Psalm 27, let's read it here. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom should I be afraid? When evildoers come against me to devour my flesh, my foes and my em- enemies stumbled and fell. Though an army deploys against me, my heart is not afraid. Though a war breaks out against me, still I am confident. How many, of, how many of you feel like that? That your world has been falling apart and that you need God to just keep it all together for you, right? Sometimes we're in that season, sometimes we're not. <clears throat> Verse 4. I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. For he will conceal me in his shelter in the days of adversity, 
He will hide me under the cover of his tent, and he will set me high on a rock. Then my head will be high above my enemies around me. I will offer sacrifices in his tents with shouts of joy. I will sing, and I will make music to the Lord. Lord, hear my voice when I call. Be gracious to me and answer me. My heart says this about you. You are to seek my face. Lord, I will seek your face. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not leave me or abandon me, God of my salvation. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord cares for me. Because of my adversaries, show me your way, Lord, and lead me on a level path. Do not give me over to the will of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing violence. Verse 13, I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and courageous. Wait for the Lord. Isn't that awesome? Wait for the Lord. So David, even in his tough situation, he knew what he had to do to get past the fear that I'm sure he was feeling. Do you think David was feeling fear? People coming against him? I'm sure he did. I'm sure he felt fear. But it's in that fear that he chose to be courageous, that he chose faith over fear. So what are you afraid of? I know we all have different things that we might um, be scared of or afraid of, but um, I, I found a, uh, an article that talks about the top 10 human fears, the top 10 most strong human fears. And here they are, starting from 10. Number 10 is losing your freedom. Nine is the fear of the unknown. Eight is the fear of pain. Seven, disappointment. Six, misery. Five, loneliness. Four is the fear of ridicule, or I would say humiliation, perhaps. Number three is the fear of rejection. Number two, death. And number one, failure. Yeah, I have the fear of failure. I do. Yep. That's something that I think we all kind of struggle with. Um, can I do good enough? Can, can I excel in something? Sometimes we're too scared to start because we don't know how we're going to end, and we're, fear, we're fearful of failing. You know, it's, it's a tough thing to get past, but God gives us plenty of words in the Bible of how to overcome those fears. Um, the, the other um, list I have for you here is a poll um, of Americans and what scares us the most. But we saw that the fears were mostly existential. They're, they're internal feels, fears. They're the, the feelings, you know, um, fear of, of, of loneliness, of rejection, of failure. Well, things that scare us might be a little bit different, all right? So the top 12 things that scare us, the dark. Who's scared of the dark? You don't have to raise your hand. Yeah. Okay, you can raise your hand. <laughs> um, going to the doctor, uh, perhaps. Thunder and lightning, when you're a child, perhaps. I don't know. Maybe you are now. It's okay. We can get past that, too. Dogs. Who's scared of dogs? Those little yippity chihuahuas, man, they're freaky. All right. Flying on an airplane, um, the fear of mice. Number six is the fear of needles and getting shots. There's some of us that are like that. Um, spiders being closed in small spaces. Uh, the top three are fear of heights, fear of public speaking, this, and fear of snakes. 
I, I don't like snakes. Um, if one slithers around, I might, I might get spooked, but I don't know. I don't think I'd run too far. But yeah, snakes. I don't like snakes either. So, so fear is something that we all encounter in our lives, right? It's a human emotion. But, but having the emotion or the experience of fear is not a sin, right? Experiencing fear and having the emotion of fear isn't a sin, but partnering with it and embracing fear is. So many times, hundreds of times, God speaks to us in the Bible and he says, fear not, do not fear, be courageous, stand firm, be bold, right? God says those things multiple times in the Bible. What is he saying when he's saying fear not? Is he saying you have fear and you need to stop that? Or is he saying something else? I think that whenever the Lord is saying, do not fear, he's never saying it to expose something necessarily that we're doing wrong. Instead, what he's doing is he's giving us the power to see that within reach is the grace to be victorious over that circumstance. Amen. Right? So he's saying, do not fear. There is nothing to fear because I am with you. Because I will hold you. I will keep you. So we need to be careful about how we read the Bible and, and not taking it as condemnation, but as an opportunity to see that God is with us every step of the way, right? So the reason the enemy uses fear as a tactic is because it's the number one way to paralyze a believer and cause them to be completely ineffective. If you stand still, you're not a threat. It's when you're moving that Satan is a little bit more scared, right? So when I choose fear, when I choose to embrace it and live in fear, I'm choosing the inferior, right? Obviously, that's choosing the inferior over the almighty God who is always there to comfort and protect us. And when we're walking in his plan for our lives, there should be nothing to fear. Okay, but the problem is sometimes we take fear and we say, God, I'm sorry, but this fear I'm experiencing and I'm feeling is a little bit more real than I think you are. We're saying, God, I think this feeling and emotion that I'm feeling, this is reality to me right now. I don't know if you are reality to me right now because I'm feeling this right now. See, trusting your feelings is tricky, right? Sometimes we trust our feelings over our knowings. We know what's right, but we still focus on the feeling. So my son loves to build Legos, all right? So, so we get boxes of Legos all the time, spend way too much money on Legos, but he loves Legos. And, and he likes to build them using the instructions and he likes to build them just using his imagination. So a little bit of both. But when we get a brand new box of Legos, we try and build it with the instructions. So, so I'll sit there and help him sometimes when he needs help. He's getting big and he's getting independent and he's saying, no dad, I can do it. But you know, sometimes I like to do it too. So, <laughs> so when he's building, um, when he's building whatever it is, if it's a little toy car, a Lego car or something like that, we're following the instructions, and, and there's this, this one um, 
piece that's um, four across and two wide. And we need to find that piece in, in this jumbled mess of Legos that came out of the box. And, and I'm searching, usually I'm the one that's having to find the pieces and he just pops it on. So I'm searching, I'm like, Gavin, I can't, I can't find the piece. It's not, I, I'm sure it's here, but I just can't find it yet. And he's like, oh, it's okay, just use that one. Just use that piece. It's a different color, but it's okay. Just use that one and put it on. And, and so by the end of building this thing, he's got multiple different pieces in the wrong places because he just substituted. He said, I, I think that one will work. I, I feel like maybe that should do. And, and he's building this car, and by the end of it, it doesn't look like what it's supposed to look like. It's because he didn't follow what he knew the instructions were. He just went by what he felt he should do. Uh, and, and sometimes those feelings are, are an unconscious reaction. Sometimes we do that unconsciously. We just, we just focus on the feeling and forget the knowledge part. And it's, the, the Bible is pretty straightforward on this. The Bible basically says, who do you think you are to be afraid? Who do you think you are? You have the knowledge. Who do you think you are to be afraid? In Isaiah 51, 12, it says, I, I am the one who comforts you. Who are you that you should fear a man who dies, or the son of man who has given up like grass. And in 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and a self-discipline and a sound mind, right? So, so God has not given us a spirit of fear. So when we are fearful, that's not God testing us, Right? So if God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, when we embrace fear and we live in fear, that's not a test from God saying, oh, can he fight this fear? No. <laughs> God does not put us through fear to see if we can push through it. No, the spirit of fear is a spirit from the enemy. So every time that we are victorious over fear or over a fear issue, the spiritual forces of evil are reminded of their impending doom. Right? Because actually in Philippians 1.28, it says, Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies, by those spirits, by the spirit of fear. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. You see, the... The enemy already knows that he's lost the battle. He's lost it from the beginning, and he knows that. But he's trying to get you to fear so that he doesn't have to think about the end of doom for him, right? He wants you to fear to get you in it with him. But that's where we fight, and we say, no, that is not where we're going to go. And so I have some questions for you to give yourself a heart check, to see where you stand in the matter of fear. The first question is, what am I doing? What am I doing about the circumstances of fear in my life? Are you feeding yourself on that which kills? Or are you feeding yourself on that which gives life? Are you eating up the thoughts and the ideas in your mind about the fear that you have? Or are you feeding yourself on the word of God and the promises and the truth that are found there? What steps are you taking to defeat the lie of the enemy. So when we fear fearful about something, 
What are you doing about it? What step are you taking to defeat that lie? Because we know it's a lie. Every fear is a lie from Satan. What are you doing to defeat it? I suggest you take a scripture or a verse and you declare it. You declare that over your life. There's, there's no better remedy for the sickness of fear than a shot of truth, right? Remember that the enemy is intimidated by your success. So if you want to intimidate the enemy, be successful over your fear. You have the power to do that. So you got to face your fear. You got to face your fear and you got to go toward it. If you if you ever watch the Discovery Channel, I love Discovery Channel or Animal Planet. That there's always these shows about um, the the animals on the Saharan plain. And if you got a group of elephants, you know, traveling in a pack, and um, there's a pride of lions that comes and, and surrounds them, what do the elephants do? Do they freak out and run? No, what do they do? They huddle and they face the lions. They all face. They put the babies in the middle and they all face those lions because they know they're more powerful than those lions. The lions can't get to them if they're facing them, but it's when they turn tail and run that they have issues, right? Same with you. You're more powerful than that encroaching hyena that's trying to get you. All right, I have a story. It's an Ethiopian folktale, all right? It's a little bit long, but just um, listen to what's going on in it. It's called Conquering Fear. Once upon a time, in Ethiopian village, there lived a boy who was shy and fearful of the world around him. That He was so shy that his family called him Miobe, which means frightened one. Why do you call me that? The boy asked his grandfather. The old man laughed, because you're afraid, he answered. The boy's grandmother, his mother, his father, and his neighbors said the same thing. Miobi pondered these words and decided he must find a way to conquer fear. And that night, when everyone was fast asleep, he packed a sack and set off into the world to find what he feared and to conquer it. That night, he slept under the wide umbrella of the sky and stared up at the darkness. Before drifting off, he whispered to himself, I see you, but I will conquer you, fear. He fell asleep wrapped in his blanket, but at midnight, the wolves began to howl. The sound woke Miobi, but instead of running away, he walked toward the sound, saying aloud, I will conquer you, fear. He walked until the sun began to rise, and when he saw its golden orb, he smiled with relief, for he had survived the first night. I'm becoming brave, he said as he walked on. Soon he came to a village, and for a moment he thought, I don't know these people at all. They might be unkind to a stranger. But he straightened up, and he walked right into the village, saying aloud, I will conquer you, fear. He walked into the village square, and there he found the village elders gathered, muttering among themselves. As Miobi came near, they looked up and sneered, Who are you? I'm traveling the world to become brave, Miobi answered. The elders laughed, Fool, no one can find bravery where it doesn't exist. What do you mean, Miobi said. The elders sighed unhappily. We're finished, said one of the old men. Our village is being threatened by a monster up on the mountain. Miobi followed the old man's gaze up to the old mountain. See him there, the old man said. <clears throat> Miobi squinted. He did not want to insult the man, but he saw nothing there. Look, said another man. See, 
It has the head of a crocodile, a monstrous crocodile. And his body is as horrible as a hippopotamus, a giant hippopotamus. <clears throat> it's like a dragon, another man cried, while fire shooting from its snout. Now, Miobi began to see the monster. He began to see the smoke and fire, the wrinkled skin and the fiery eyes. I see, he said, but silently he promised himself he would not be afraid. So he walked away from the elders into the village proper. Everywhere people cowered. The little children hid inside, refusing to go to school. <coughs> refusing to go to school. Or go outside. The women said, The monster will come down from the mountain and eat them. Everyone knows monsters eat children. The farmers hovered inside their doorways, hose and rakes in hand. Outside their horses stood, unharnessed. We cannot go to work, they told Miobi. If we go into the fields, the monster will come down and get us. Miobi saw wandering goats, sheep, and cows out at the edge of the village, but no one came to milk them or tend to them. No one planted crops. Few left their homes, preferring to hide indoors. The monster is as big as ten barges, they whispered among themselves as Miobi listened. The monster is going to destroy us. Finally, Miobi decided it was up to him to destroy that monster. I wish to conquer fear, he announced, and so I shall go slay the monster. No, son, don't do it, the elders cried. Mothers gathered to try to shield their young men from harm. Fathers shook their heads and warned, you will die. Miobi shivered and his heart fluttered, but he was determined, I must conquer fear, he said, and he set off. At the base of the mountain, he looked up and felt a chill, a chill of fear running down his spine. The monster looked even bigger and fiery than any dragon, fiercer than a whole pack of wolves or a nest of snakes. He remembered the days when he had been afraid. He took a deep breath and began to climb. As he climbed, he looked up, but now he saw the monster seemed to be growing smaller. How peculiar, the boy said. My eyes are deceiving me. He continued to climb. When he was halfway up, he looked again. He squinted, shielding his eyes, but the monster's eyes no longer seemed so fierce, and the flames didn't shoot from his snout. The closer I get, the smaller he looks, Miobi said puzzlingly. He continued to climb, though now he pulled its dagger from his sack so he would be prepared. As he came around the bend in the path, he saw the summit before him. He gasped. The monster had disappeared. Miobi turned and looked behind him. Surely the creature was going to sneak up from behind and attack. But when he turned, he saw nothing. He heard nothing. He held his breath. He looked left. He looked right. He continued to climb. At long last, he reached the summit, and it was all empty and quiet. Nothing was there. Suddenly, he heard a sound at his feet. He looked down and saw a little creature, just a toad, a wrinkled skin and round, frightened eyes. He bent down and picked it up, and he said, Who are you? he asked. How did you become so small? But the monster said nothing, and so he cradled it in his hand and walked down the mountain. When he reached the village, the people cried, He's safe! And they surrounded him. Miobi held out his hand and showed them the tiny wrinkled toad. This is the monster, he said. What's your name? asked the elder. The creature croaked, and the elder looked up into the crowd, and he said, Miobi has brought us the monster. Its name is Fear. 
So what are you doing? What are you doing about the fears? The second question I want you to ask yourself is, what am I thinking? What am I thinking? Let's look at the life of Paul. He was beaten and stoned. He was left for dead multiple times. He was put in house arrest. He was thrown in prison. Uh, in Rome, there's actually a, a museum over um, Paul's prison where he, was, where he was left. And it was literally a hole in the ground. We're able to go down into it. There's stairs now that go down into it. And it's a hole in the ground. It's damp and it's circular. It looks like a big uh, cistern or something like that with stones all around it. Um, but that's where he was for many, many years. And um, he wrote some interesting things in those places. Paul actually wrote the words in that prison. He wrote these words, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. What in the world was Paul thinking? The circumstances, the reality of his circumstances did not warrant anything of the sort. But he knew what truth was, and he knew where his thinking needed to be, right? And Paul also wrote in Romans, he says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Transform your minds by the renewing of your mind so you can see what God's will is for your life. My pastor always says, get rid of your stinking thinking. All the time. I don't he loves that phrase. I think it's getting old now, but he says it all the time. Get rid of your stinking thinking because it does no good for you. It just smells. It doesn't do anything else. And put on the righteousness of Christ. Put on the knowledge that you know is in the word. So where is your focus? Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, right? Number three, what am I praying? What am I doing? What am I thinking? What am I praying? If you... If you Okay, guys, I'm not trying to step on any toes, but if you walk into prayer and you walk away from it and you're not refreshed, you probably weren't praying, you were probably complaining, all right? Prayer is an exchange with God, all right? If, <laughs> if all you're doing is going to God and asking him for favors— or, or when things get tough, you're calling on him, then basically you're reducing God to nothing more than a plumber or a mechanic. How often do you call your plumber and say, hey, Billy Bob, how you doing? Um, I'm doing good. Is there something wrong with your toilet? No, Billy, I'm just, I'm just calling to say hi. I miss you. I hope you're doing well. How's business? Business is good? All right. Well, I love you, man, and, and I want to just, I want to pour out my love to you and, and, and just um, encourage you. Billy Bob would be pretty freaked out, right? <laughs> well, do we do that with God? Do we talk to God that way? God, be blessed. God, hallowed be your name, right? Do we talk to God that way when we pray? Those should be the first things that come out of our lips. And um, there, there's a, a special way of praying that, um, that I knew about, but that we really practice when we're in Rome. Um, every Sunday morning before service began, 
uh, we would go into the prayer room and we'd have a, a short time of prayer. And we did something called ACTS, A-C-T-S. Um, we did the ACTS of prayer. And it was short. It was just like 10 minutes long. But the A stands for adoration. Lord, we adore you. This is, this is praising God for who he is. Not necessarily what he's done, but who he is. Adoration, adore Christ for who he is. Lord, we adore you. We love you. Lord, you are holy. Start calling out the names of God. Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Jireh. Lord, you are my provider. You are my healer. You are my comfort. Those things. We adore him. And C is confession. A-C-T-S, confession. So this is a time in prayer where, where we confess our, our sins and our faults before God, and we ask him for forgiveness, and we repent of those things. We, we make, our, make ourselves clean and holy before Christ. And T, thanksgiving. We thank him. This is a time where we can thank him for what he has done in our lives and what he's going to do in our lives, right? Because there is no time frame with God. We're stuck in time. God is not bound by time. So our prayers that we pray have already been answered, and we're thanking him for what he has done in our lives at this time, and we're praising him and thanking him in advance for what he is going to do in our lives, right? And S, supplication. This is where we come before God, and we plead our case. Lord, Lord, this is what I need you to, to do for me. Lord, I need your help in this. God, this is what I'm struggling with, and I need you to help me. Supplication. All right? When we set ourselves up in that way, when we set ourselves up to adore Christ for who he is and to clean our slate of our sins and to thank him already for what he's done and what he's going to do, that sets us up for expectation of what God will do in advance through our supplication, right? So, so coming away from a prayer like that sets us up to be rejuvenated, to be revitalized, to break the paralyzation that we had in our lives from fear. Prayer is when we have an exchange with God. He gives us, our, he gives us his heart in exchange for ours. And it's blessing for blessing, right? In the Lord's Prayer, it says, Hallowed be thy name. We're blessing God for who he is. And in turn, God pours blessings on us as well. So it's the exchange. Number four, <clears throat> what am I saying? What am I doing? What am I thinking? What am I praying? What am I saying? In Joel 3.10 is an awesome verse. It says, Beat your plows into swords and your pruning knives into spears. Let even the weakling say, I am a warrior. I love that. Does that sound familiar? There's a, there's a hymn, Give Thanks, where it says, Let the weak say, I am strong. Right? I love that hymn. Give thanks with a grateful heart. So, beat your plows into swords. So, what kind of people are these? These are farmers. Right? Take your pruning knives and turn them into spears. God is setting us up for victory. We have to do something. We have to, we have to act on it. But he is setting us up for victory. And what are we saying? We are declaring the Lord's truth in our lives. I am a warrior. I am a conqueror. I am more than a conqueror. See, declaring the truth brings it into existence. Right? Why would God tell us to say things if, if it had no bearing on our lives? 
It's the speaking of the truth of the word of God that brings it into existence, brings it into reality. And there's a difference here. We are to speak truth, not just what is true. There's a difference. It could be true that you went to the doctor and you got a bad report and he shows you the scans and you've got some issues. That is true, okay? I'm not saying that you live in denial. We, we don't go around saying, no, no, that's not true. No, there is truth. There, there is what's true in the world, but there is truth. And that comes from the word of God. And the word of God says, though you tell me what's true, I believe that God is my healer. And by his stripes I am healed. And that I will declare that over my life, right? And so truth is established by the word of God and it's something that we can lean on and depend on. And so by declaring that truth and declaring the word of God into our lives, it becomes reality. It's rehabilitation is what it is. It's rehabilitation. It's taking, it's taking what fear has paralyzed and it's working those muscles back out. It, it takes time and it takes effort. If, if you've got... If you um, <clears throat> broke a bone in your leg, you can't just say, all right, I'm, I'm going to work it out, and I'm going to be all right next week. No, there's a rehabilitation that happens. Fear can paralyze you, and it can immobilize you. And it's not just as simple as saying, okay, I'm done with the fear. I'm, I'm done. I'm done with it now. And, and walking away from it, there are steps that have to happen. It's a rehabilitation, and God is there, and he will work through it with you, but it's a constant day-by-day -day rehabilitation into the life that God has called you to live. Amen. See, there's something that happens. When, when our words line up with the word of God, there's something that happens in the spirit realm. Right? Chains are broken. Chains are broken, and parts of us that have become paralyzed are now revived. We get that muscle tone back. We get back to where we're supposed to be. So speaking the words of truth is a rehabilitation. It's a revitalizing of our spirit and of our soul to bring us back into the, the line that God wants us to be in. So we speak to those fears. We face them head on. And we speak to those fears. And we declare truth over them through the power and the word of God. So we're going to go back over <clears throat> the top 10 fears that, that I guess every human in the world has, majority. So we're going to go back over them, and we're going to speak truth over these fears. Number 10 is losing your freedom, right? Well, Psalm 119.45 says, I will walk in freedom, for I have devoted myself to your commandments. I will walk in freedom, no matter the circumstances, no matter what's true around me. The truth is that I will walk in freedom because I have devoted myself to your commandments. Number nine is the unknown. In Matthew 6, 31 through 33, it says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall I eat, or what shall I drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God 
and all these things will be added unto you. <clears throat> I must admit, I, I worry sometimes about the unknown. I like to have everything in place. I like to plan out everything in advance. I like to know what's going on before I head into a situation. <clears throat> Life's just not that simple, is it? I wish it was sometimes, but it's not. Life throws you curveballs. Life gives you things that you're just not prepared for. And, and you have to walk into some places that you're not ready to walk into. But God is there every step of the way. And when we seek him, we seek his righteousness, everything is prepared in advance for us. All right, number eight is pain. To pain we speak Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 17, but I will restore you to health and heal your wounds, declares the Lord. There are a lot of verses in the Bible about, about pain, emotional pain, physical pain. But God speaks to that and says, I am the God who heals. I am the God who comforts. Number seven, disappointment. We speak Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 through 25. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. We need to care not about what other people think about us. Disappointment has no bearing on my eternity. Amen? The only thing I need to worry about is what God thinks of me. And so when I do my best and, and when I do what God wants me to do, that should be enough. That should be enough. Number six, misery. <clears throat> Romans 8.37. Know in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen? Nothing can defeat us. In the, the thought of misery is a thought of, of, of turmoil. Woe is me. The world around me is collapsing. I'm just I'm, I'm worthless, I'm nothing, my life is never going to amount to anything. I don't want to raise a hands, but I, I think some of you may have felt that way at one point in your life, right? So this is where we need to make a change. God says, you are more than a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Number five, loneliness. To loneliness we speak Romans 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither the height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Nothing can separate us from God's love. And so to loneliness we speak God's love into existence, into our lives. Amen? Yeah. <clears throat> Number four, ridicule. We speak Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So ridicule, that's, that's um, uh, being made fun of, or humiliation, ridicule. There should be no fear in that because God is the one who holds us. God is the one who comforts us. Our identity 
should not be found in what other people think of us or when, what other people say of us. Our identity is found in Christ and Christ alone. Amen. Number three, rejection. To rejection, we say Isaiah 53, verse 3. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. If Christ can be rejected, so can I. My life is in Christ. So if I'm to live the life that Christ lived, I need to be prepared for some rejection. That fear is not going to have a hold on me. I'm not going to live my life in paralyzation for fear that I may be rejected by some people. I tell you what, the life of a missionary is, is um, one of you know, constant rejection in different forms. There's rejection from churches. There's rejection from pastors. There's rejection from people on the streets. There's rejection from people within the ministry. There's rejection all around. But see, when, when we're focused on the task at hand, when we're focused on the will of God for our lives, rejection has no role in it. Rejection means nothing. And so we say to, fear, we say to the fear of rejection, you mean nothing to me because my life is found in Christ and Christ alone. Number two, death. To death we speak life. To death we speak Romans 6, 5. Since we have been reunited, since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. This is a promise. This is a promise from God that no matter what, in death there is life. In the death, in our physical death, it brings on a new life a new soul, a new body, a new heavens, a new earth. God has promised it all, and we eagerly wait in anticipation for it, right? Number one, the fear of failure. To failure, we speak Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 3 and 5, 3 through 5. For the Lord your God is going with you. He will fight for you against your enemies. He will give you victory. There are so many numerous verses in the Bible about victory, that with God we can be victorious. It reminds me of the story of of Gideon. I'm I'm sure some of you know the story where um, he had thousands of men. I think it was 30,000 men. And God said, get rid of them, whittle them down. And so the army of 30,000 men shrinks down to 10,000. Two-thirds of the group ran off because they were afraid. God said, Tell your men, whoever's afraid, they can go home. So Gideon did that. He said, all right, God said, if you're afraid, you can go home. 20,000 men turned tail and ran home. 10,000 men stayed. So how many of those 10,000 are now afraid? I don't know. (laughs) Two-thirds of the army just disappeared. So now of that 10,000, God says, whittle it down even more. So he whittles whittles it down to 300 men. Gideon has 300 men now that he has to fight this this army of uh, Ishmaelites of thousands, thousands. And so God brings them into battle, and Gideon blows the the horn of the Lord, and um, the battle happens, and basically the enemies are turning on themselves, killing themselves. It's crazy. The end of the story is Gideon wins. Thousands of of enemies are killed. Gideon, with his 300, are victorious. 
Now, in reality, what's true is that probably wouldn't happen in probability standards. If you look at the probability, it was, I think it was over one to a hundred um, enemies. One Gideon man to a hundred enemy men. How is that possible? I have no idea. But the truth is they were victorious Amen. through God. Right? So I just, I just want to leave you with this, that the Lord loves you, and he has a plan for your life. The Lord loves you, and he has a plan for your life. Right? My pastor says this every single Sunday, doesn't he? He has a plan for your life. Are you living within that plan? If you feel like you're stuck in life, then you probably need to ex examine your life and, and point out those fears that are, are holding you back. If you feel, <laughs> this may be some of you, it was me quite a while ago too, if you feel your life is boring and not fulfilling, you probably aren't living the life that God intended for you. Before we were called in the ministry, I was living that life. I was living a life of, um, you know, nine to five, day to day, doing what I thought I was supposed to be doing, making some money, providing for my family. I was living comfortably, um, but I was going to church, and I was a, a leader in youth group, and I was a small group leader, and um, I, God. I love God, and I would pray, and I would read my Bible, but there's something missing. I was unfulfilled. My life was boring. <laughs> and there was a point in my life, um, it happened from somebody speaking into my life, where I prayed a simple prayer, and I said, God, we prayed this together, and, and this is the start of our journey. God, whatever you have for our lives, we will do it. Wherever you want us to go, we will go. Whatever you want us to do, we will do. Not having in mind missions whatsoever. <laughs> not having in mind missions. We prayed that prayer in ignorance, not knowing what in the world God was going to do. But we knew that we had to pray the prayer. God, God, use us. God, use us however you want to use us. And so we prayed it. We prayed that prayer. And we meant it. But we thought nothing of it after that. We thought, all right, if God's going to do something, he's going to do something. So the next week, <laughs> he did something. The next week, uh, we had some missionaries come and, and speak to us. And um, it was actually Rick and Jennifer Pasquale in Rome. They were actually the ones that we went to work with um, the last two years. But um, during, during uh, the time where Rick was speaking, he just said, and we want you to be a part of what we're doing in Italy. We want you to come too, right? He's spurring them on to, to join in with what they're doing, join in with the efforts. At that point was when the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he said, I want you to go to Italy. I had never, ever in my mind thought of going into missions at all, um, going into ministry whatsoever. I was, I was happy where I was at. I had a corporate management degree. I was in a corporate headquarters setting. I was, I was right where I needed to be to work up that ladder to get where I wanted to be. And I thought God had orchestrated that from the beginning, right? He told me to go to the school, 
He told me to get this degree, so I thought this is where I'm supposed to go. God has plans that we don't know of, obviously, right? So, so it was in that moment that God changed our lives forever. Now, it may not be like that for you. I'm, I'm not saying that every, every um, God-ordained aha moment is for every single person. God does things in different ways for different people. But if your life, if you feel like your life is stagnant, stale, boring, ask God what he wants of you. Ask God what he wants you to do. Does he want you to go to uh, the local homeless shelter and, um, and, and serve food once a week? That might be pretty weird for some of you. It might make some fear rise up in you. It might be uncomfortable. If that's what God wants you to do, you go do that. If God wants you to um, walk around your neighborhood once a week in a prayer walk, and, and, he, um, and he highlights people to you while you're walking to pray for, and you need to go up to them and pray to them, that's what God wants you to do. And imagine if you actually did that what your life would be like. Your life would not become, not be boring, not be stale or stagnant. Your life would be one where you are living in the plan that God has for you. And it is one of adventure, one of intrigue, one of mystery that you won't know until it unfolds before you. It's, it's a journey, but it is an amazing adventure. That's what we're living right now. I'm not saying that I'm perfect, that I'm doing everything God wants me to do, Lord knows that's not the truth, but I'm trying. I'm trying to do what God wants me to do, and I pray that you do too. So I want you to take charge of those fears because the Lord is going to give you the victory over them. Don't settle with where you are because it's not where God wants you. God never says, all right, you're done, you're good right there. No. God always has a next step, always has more for you. And that's why it's a constant adventure and journey. And he continually calls us to higher places. Continually calling us to higher places. Amen? All right, would you all bow your heads with me? God, thank you for calling us into higher places. Lord, thank you for, for having a plan for our lives before we even knew it. God, thank you for guiding us and protecting us and comforting us when we need it. Thank you for leading us always into victory, no matter what the reality looks like. God, I pray that we will lean on our knowledge, on our truth, and not just what's true and what looks true to us in reality. God, we speak words of truth over our lives, and we pray words of truth into our lives, Lord, that you will be glorified in everything that we do and that you will be with us and guide us every step of the way. Lord, thank you for being with us and guiding us through our fears. And Lord, if there's someone, if there's anyone here right now who, who needs prayer over your fears, Lord, you feel, you feel paralyzed, you feel stuck in a situation, I want you to know that God is here to comfort you, first and foremost. Fear is an ugly thing. Fear takes on many different forms. Anxiety, depression, loneliness. And God wants to call you out from those fears and start rehabilitating you. 
rejuvenating your life and reviving you to live the life that God has called you to. If there's, if there's anyone here this morning that, that does not have a relationship with Christ right now, I want to invite you into a life of excitement, of adventure, of, of one where, where God calls the shots and you just follow along. God wants to be there for you. He loves you, and he has that plan for your life. And if that's you, if you could just raise your hand, I want to pray for you. Lord, thank you for touching these people's hearts. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for all that you've done in our lives and all that you will do. Lord, as these people go this, this afternoon, Lord, I pray that you be with them, Lord, that these words don't just disappear and dissipate from their hearts, but that they linger on them, Lord, that, that your word, the truth that's found in your word, tugs on them, Lord. Lord, Holy Spirit, I pray that you call out those things that should not be. Lord, I pray that you call out those fears for them, Lord, that we can work against them, Lord, that we can, that we can shoot down the fiery darts of the enemy, God, and that we can stand in victory knowing that we are more than conquerors through you. We praise you, Jesus, and we thank you for everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. God bless you. Amen. Thank you for that awesome word this morning. Amen. Well, we're going to uh, receive a special offering this morning uh, from Micah and Kelsey and their family uh, to do the work that God has called them to do. So if our ushers would come, just be in prayer about what God would have you to give in this offering, that the work may go forth. Uh, we can't all go to the mission field, but we can support those whom he's called and who's answered the call. So let's just uh, pray and, and ask God for that. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we come to you and we thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy, and we thank you, God, for those who have answered your call to go and share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to those who have not yet heard. And we ask, God, that you would bless this offering, that you would bless the work which you've called Micah and Kelsey to and their, their family. Ask, God, that you would just pour yourself out in them and through them, God, to show the love that can only come from the throne of grace as they minister your truth. And we give you glory and we give you the praise in Christ's name.